Father God, we thank you for this time. We praise you. Lord, we give you all the honor and the glory as we come here before you this morning. Now open up your word to us, Father, and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? You know, it's good to see so many people here. Um, The last few weeks we've been kind of sparse. I was telling Arnold back in the back, I said, if all you guys would just show up on the same Sunday, we'd be okay. So what we're going to do is do a a phone bank or, you know, we're going to start calling everybody and reminding them on this particular Sunday, everybody show up now, okay, because it is good to see so many of you that we haven't seen in a while. Some of you have been absent and we're grateful that you're here this morning. We're doing a study in the book of James and for the last two weeks we've talked about topics such as trials that we go through and we've talked about how that everybody goes through trials, something that is difficult not pleasant. We've also talked last week about temptations, the temptation to sin, to give in to evil. And in both of those particular um, topics in our growth groups, we've discussed a lot of different things. But uh, one of the things we've discussed is how we often respond to those events in our lives, whether it be a test or a trial or hardship or maybe some temptation that's come our way. How do we respond? And as we've talked about that, we've looked at a lot of different responses. Sometimes we get angry because we don't want to hear what somebody has to say or we don't want to talk about it, we don't want to think about it, we don't want to go through it. We're angry at God, angry at everybody, just angry at the situation. Sometimes we rebel against God and uh, leave the church and get mad because things aren't going well for us or maybe somebody said something that made you upset and so you just decided you'd leave because of it. Sometimes we do that when we're going through some difficult times. Sometimes we give up. We just don't want to even think about it. Sometimes we make excuses. Uh, We've heard all of the excuses. And inevitably what happens, it seems like when somebody's going through a difficult situation in life and a preacher gets up to preach or a Sunday school teacher teaches or maybe just a good friend comes by and tries to encourage you and brings up something in your life that maybe you need to take a look at, We get uh, upset. We don't like it because, you see, in our minds we're thinking, you don't understand what I'm going through. If you understood what I was going through, you would understand that I'm excused from obedience. I'm excused from trying to live a right life because God understands my hurt and my pain and God doesn't expect anything of me during this time. Now, you think, well, nobody would think that. You'd be amazed. I've actually had people say that to me over the years of ministry. People that have basically, in so many words, have said that I'm excused because of what I'm going through. Because you don't understand I had a hard life, Pastor. You don't understand I was abused when I was a child. You don't understand that I've been divorced and lonely and, you know, trying to take care of myself all of these years. I am terribly sick with a terminal disease. I'm Uh, divorced and I'm lonely. I mean, the excuses go on and on. And and in our minds, we've convinced ourselves that because of this, because I'm going through some difficult times, then I am okay with being somewhat disobedient. And that God might kind of wink at it, might God understands and that sort of thing, and everybody does it, and so God is not going to hold me accountable because somehow I'm excused. And that has grown into what we call the great disconnect. In other words, the difference between what we hear, what we read in Scripture, what we know to be true, what we believe, and then what we do and act 
you know, how we act and, and so forth. So it's the difference between hearing and doing. And James, I think, uh, as he writes this, has this in mind because he's talked about, in the beginning of this chapter, he's talked about trials and tribulations. He talked about temptations, and he just comes right out with that in the first chapter, which is kind of unusual. You know, somebody sort of builds to that usually, but not with the James. He just jumps into it. And as he's writing, he knows that he's writing to people, Christians that are scattered all over the world, the known world at that time, and they are being brutalized. They are being hunted down. They've been persecuted because of their faith. And they, more than anybody else, knows what it is to go through hard times. They, more than anybody else, knows what it is to be tempted to walk away and do your own thing and not fellowship with other believers and not care about living a moral life and all so forth. Because you see, in their minds, they're thinking, it's different with me because of what I'm going through. And it's to those same exact people that are thinking that. Then James writes this in chapter 1, verse 22. Listen to the verse. He says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Now, this is probably the key verse of the entire book of James because this is what the whole book is about. You and I beginning to put into practice the things that we've been told, taught, learned over the years. And so we have now got to become people that do the things that we already understand. Now, these people understood because they had been told, and he's telling them in this chapter, you need to be doing it and not merely just listening to it and having it taught to you, but you need to be involved in doing it. So today what I want to do is this. I want to challenge you and myself as well through this, but I want us to challenge, be challenged to live a life of obedience, to live a life that is glorifying to God, that pleases God, and be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Because i got to tell you, and, and this is the way I think is something that we've fallen into here in this country, is that we have, we've really gotten lazy as Christians. And we come and we listen and we hear and we take notes. But we never do. you know. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I want to share with you three things that I think will help you. Okay, And these are things you need to remember. They're, they're nothing... Uh, you know, outstanding or out of the ordinary, things you've heard before, which is usually the case when I'm preaching. I'm preaching things you've heard before. Um, But they're things that you and I need to do. So let's jump right in here. Here's the first thing that I want to share with you, okay? That you need to listen to the truth, even if you don't like it. You need to listen to the truth and hear it, even if you don't like it. And my friend, this happens a lot. It happens a lot. It really does. We tune people out. We tune out the preacher. We just tune it out if we don't like it. And we've gotten into the habit of picking and choosing things we like and don't like, and that determines what we're going to obey or not. And see, this is part of the problem because we are beginning to uh, create this, this world that we live in where we get to decide what we're going to obey. And you know, that is not the way it is with Scripture. Now, let me read you these couple of verses in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now let's pick it apart for a moment, okay? Right off the bat, he's talking to brothers and sisters, believers. That's the whole book of James. He's talking to believers. 
And we're going to talk about this as we get further into it. We sometimes get the idea that he's not, but yes, he is talking to believers. He says, I want you to take note of this. Now, in other words, you listen to this and, and take notes on this one, okay? He says to everybody, he says, everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Now, what is he talking about here? He's saying, well, you ought to be listening with your hearts to the things that you've been told. He said, if it's instruction from the Bible that somebody is teaching you, like the apostles and the early church fathers were doing, um, teaching the scriptures, whether it be in a Sunday school class, if you were talking about today, or in the pulpit, or whether somebody's counseling you or giving you good biblical advice, or whether, whether somebody confronts you with something in your life that you don't really want to talk about, or maybe you read it in the Bible for yourself, and you don't like it, even though you don't like what it says, you may not agree with it, the Spirit of God is convincing you in your heart, you need to listen to this. He said, so here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to listen. I want you to hear it. I want you to take it in, even if you don't like it. You may not even agree with it. But if you never stop to listen, if you never take it in or never consider the possibility that what you're being told just might be right and might be something you need to hear, then nothing's ever going to change. But then he quickly moves to the next part of this. He says, you also need to be slow to speak. In other words, be quiet. You need to be quiet. There needs to be a point in your life when, some, when the Word of God is being given to you in all of these different forms that I've talked about, whether somebody's confronting you with something or you're hearing it for, for yourself from the Word. You need to be quiet. You need to listen. Now, what is the quiet? Why is he saying to be quiet to these people? Because if you think about this, they're no different than you and me. And if they were being told that you need to change the way you're living, and they reacted the same way I'm sure that we do. We make excuses. We start saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you don't understand. And the Lord says, wait, just be quiet. I don't want to hear the excuses. We start complaining. We'll say things like, well, if so-and-so didn't do this, or, you know, if the preacher was different, or if the church was different, or I have a reason for doing this, you know, anything. We start complaining about things. We say things like, well, it won't work. That's not going to work. Prayer doesn't work for me. It works for everybody else. But why pray doesn't work for me? I don't have to live a moral life because, you see, I'm lonely and I, God understands. And God says, no, just listen and be quiet. Just let my spirit deal with your heart. But then he goes on and he says now in the next phrase, he says, and slow to become angry. Now, how do these fit together? That you are... You're listening, you're being quiet, and then all of a sudden he throws this one in, and don't get angry. Because nine times out of ten, when somebody confronts you, even if it's the Word of God being taught to you, we have a natural tendency to get angry. I don't want to hear that. Guys, I've had, I've had people come to church, and one day I'll be preaching on something that I did not know they were coming. They thought I did. But they feel, oh, Lord, he's talking to me. And I don't like it, and I'm not going back to that church. Because we get angry over things, and we don't like to be confronted. 
And this is why in the very next verse, or the very next phrase in verse 20, he says this, because anger never results in righteousness. Your anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now guys, think about this, okay? How many times have you gotten angry at me or a teacher or a friend that told you something you didn't like about yourself? Or maybe you read in the Bible and you got mad and you just shut your Bible and says, well, that's so outdated, you know, whatever. And you got angry because you know what? It hit a nerve, didn't it? It hit a nerve. And he's saying to you and me, now listen, if you don't listen to what's being told to you, if you don't be quiet and not make excuses, if you get angry, then nothing will ever change. And so he's saying to you and me, these are the three things you need to do in order to take it in, let the Word of God do its work, and watch and see your life change and watch it be different. But you see, it comes back to you and me. Because more often than not, rather than following this challenge here to to do this, we want to shoot the messenger. We do. We just want to get mad at people because how dare you say that to me? How dare you question me? How dare you confront me? Because you see, in our minds, that's judging, and we don't like that. And we have this misconception that the Bible tells us we shouldn't judge, and it really doesn't. But you see, we want to shoot the messenger. We want to get mad at the people around us. I've had people mad at me over the years of ministry that you cannot believe. I've been called every name in the book. I have uh, had poison spewed at me from people that you try to confront, you try to help, you try to instruct, you try to hold their feet to the fire, try to help them to change who they are, and they don't like it. And so this is the reason why. These people are living their hell. They're living their torment. They're living it because of the way they're being treated. And they're mad at God. They're mad at society. They're mad at themselves. They're mad about everything. And he's telling them, now just be quiet and listen and stop this because you're never going to change. Life is never going to get better for you until you do. Back when I was a teenager... Now, this is going way back, okay? And don't ask me why I remember this, but I remember this just as vividly as if it were yesterday. I had a Sunday school teacher when I was a teenager. His name was Avery. And Avery, had his, his wife was Jean. So Jean and Avery, and he, he was a, the sweetest guy. You know, he was no theologian. I look back on that, and I think to myself, my gosh, the things we were taught, you know, some of it may be questionable, but the man loved us to death, and that counted for so much. And this man was a deacon in the church and loved the Lord and served people. And one evening, he was over at a, an elderly woman. She was probably in her 80s then, a widow lady, helping her with some plumbing issues. Crawled up under her house to help her, and he died of a heart attack under the house. It devastated our church. And we go through the whole grieving process and the family and taking care of the family, helping them. Well, as time goes by. Weeks and months go by. Jean, his wife, begins to fall away from the church. She's not coming that often. And um, the ladies in the church are reaching out to her, trying to help her. And she's making some very ungodly choices. 
she is going out bar hopping now. now. This is a woman you would have never thought would have done this. She's going out. She's running around with guys that weren't believers. I think eventually she wound up marrying a guy and, and getting a divorce. But during that time, the women in the church were reaching out to her and, and helping her, trying to you know, help her come back. The pastor was also dealing with her and confronting her on some things, but she just needed to change. She had children, you know. She needed to, to change. She got mad, and she never came back. And the only thing that I know is things that I've heard about, like I said, the marriage, the divorce, and so forth. I really don't know whatever happened to her. And this happens over and over in churches because we don't want to listen. See, we want to make excuses. And we continue on down the path and nothing ever changes. And we get mad and we wonder why life never changes for us. This is what James is saying. This is why it never changes for you. Because you want to make excuses and get mad at people who are trying to help. And we do it all the time. You need to listen. That's the point. Here's the second point of this message, okay? And that is this, that you do the right thing even if it is hard. Do the right thing even if it is hard. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every time you do the right thing, it's going to be hard. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but let me read you these couple of verses. James chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. Listen to this. He says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Now let's look at this for a moment, okay? He says to these people now that are hurting, you need to get rid of all the moral filth among you that is so prevalent. You see, they had really gone off the deep end. They were finding it was easier to start acting like the crowd, that they, the, the society they were scattered into, rather than standing up for God. And they were following along with everybody else. And he says, now listen, this is prevalent, and it needs to stop. You need to stop making excuses. You need to stop getting angry. You need to listen to what I'm telling you, and this needs to stop. He said that it's prevalent. He said in order for you to change, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Now, the, here, we're going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks. The word save in the New Testament is the same word for rescue, deliver, and the context determines what it means. I don't think that he's talking about being saved from hell. He's already acknowledging these people are believers. But it's being rescued from the life that you're living now. You're going to be delivered. You're going to be blessed. Things are going to change completely for you, I think is what he's talking about. We'll go into that more in a couple of weeks, but just let me drop that on you for now. And then in the verse 22, do not merely listen. You're deceiving yourselves. You've got to be doers. Now, see, this is what we do. We, we are, we're guilty of this. We are willing to deceive ourselves by coming to church, taking notes and listening to the preacher and going out the door and living any way we choose. Guys, I know it because I've talked to some of you. I know it because I've tried to help some of you. And, and this is where the great disconnect is because what we're hearing and even believing, we're not living 
And so we've got to start doing that, and we've got to start dropping the excuses and jumping in there and start making an effort to do what's right. Like I said before, the road to righteousness is hard. Now let me illustrate this, okay? Let's pretend that there's a road that's coming up here and it's going out. There's a fork in the road. If you take the right fork, it's the way of righteousness. You've made a decision by taking that fork in the road that you've, you've come up against a situation where you've got to make a choice, godly or ungodly, and you've chosen to take the right one, to, to make the godly choice. If you go to the left, you're choosing to take the ungodly choice, the sinful response. Whenever you make a godly choice, no matter what it is, it's hard. Because for you to go against what your emotions are and what you're feeling and what your desires are, it's difficult to do. It's difficult for you when you're angry not to lash out. It's difficult for you to love somebody that isn't lovable, to forgive somebody that you don't want to forgive. See, that's difficult. It's difficult for you to say no to immorality. It really is. But, he said, but what I want you to see is this, that even though it's a difficult choice here, on down the road, it's a whole lot easier. Life gets so much easier because of the consequences. Look at all that you escaped by taking that path. Look at the relationship with the Lord. Look at how God is blessed when you took that path. Now let's look at the other side. Whenever you're confronted with disobedience and sinful choices, that's easy. You see, it's easy to always take the easy, the easy out. The sinful choice will always be easy. But down the road, it gets way harder because of the consequences. You look at the lives that you destroyed because of the choice that you made back here. It was so easy at the time, but living it and bearing the consequences now... Man, that's hard. So you see, when he says to you and me here, you do the right thing. You make the right choice. Even if it's hard, make the right choice. There's something else that goes into that um, getting easier down the road is because when you make the right choice, don't forget, you have the Spirit of God enabling you as you do that. The choice is always ours to make, okay? God isn't going to pick you up and take you over here and make you make the right choice. He doesn't. But when I make it, the power of God kicks in. And it's like everything becomes easier now. But I've got to make that initial choice. And that's the hard part. So yeah, when it comes to situations of integrity... When it's easier to cheat somebody or lie to somebody than to tell the truth and be honest, you need to make the right choice. When it comes to forgiveness, even something as simple as church attendance, tell me it's not hard to get up on Sunday morning and come to church. It is. I know that. I don't even want to come sometimes. Deborah said, you've got to go. I said, all right, I'll go. But yeah, it is hard, isn't it? You want to snuggle back down inside of that comforter and you just want to stay there. And you start making excuses, don't you? Oh, you're the kids. You know, I don't feel well. I've got a cold. Well, I've heard them all. But 
you come. You make the decision to come. And all of a sudden, it begins a habit with you. All of a sudden, life begins to change. Things are different because you've made a commitment to do something that you know in your heart you should do. Boy, giving is one. Ooh. Every time a preacher talks about giving, we get mad, don't we? And we get mad if we're not giving anything, I'll guarantee you. Because you don't want to hear it. All they want is your money. All that preacher ever talks about, you start making those excuses and you start getting mad. But when you bite the bullet and you say to yourself, you know what, before God, this is what I need to do. And it gets easier as time goes on because here's what kicks in down the road, okay? Listen, God says when you give to me, I give back to you. And so for all these bills that you think you can't get by without dealing with, you have to take God's money to pay. God says, why don't you trust me? Why don't you do what I ask you to do and trust me to take care of those? And believe me, down the road, it gets better. I've never known anybody that was a faithful giver that didn't also have some financial stability because you can't give outgive God. You see, the whole point is to just do it, whatever it is, however difficult it may be. That decision is yours. Now, here's the third thing that I want to quickly get to, okay? Here, third thing that you need to know, and that is this, that the reward is worth it. The reward is worth it. Now, I'm not talking about heaven, okay? That's not the reward I'm talking about. Watch this as I read these verses to you. Verses 23 through 25. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and is immediately, he immediately forgets what he looks like. In other words, you look in a mirror, you see the dirt, but you get preoccupied with something else and you don't take care of it. Whenever you come to church or read your Bible and you see what you need to do and you don't do it, then this is what you look like. You forgot to take care of business, is what he's saying. But in verse 25, he says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Now, that's basically the New Testament, the teaching of the apostles, the law of the New Testament. Looks into this perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. Watch the last phrase. They will be blessed in what they do. What? Yeah. God says this. You stop being a person that just hears the word and never follows through on it and start following through. Start making a commitment that I am going to do what God has told me to do regardless of how difficult it is. I'm going to listen to the people and to the pastor and the teachers, whoever, where the word of God is coming into my life and I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to change. And God says this, that you will be blessed in what they do, what you do. Okay, what does that look like? What does that blessing look like? Because we're not talking about heaven, okay? We're not talking about blessings in heaven. It's a whole other topic. He's talking about whatever you do now. Old habits fall by the wayside. That's a blessing where there used to be turmoil and heartache and worry and anxiety, all of a sudden you're calm. You don't worry as much as you used to. That's a blessing. 
You smile more because there's joy in your heart that didn't used to be there. That's a blessing. You're more kind and compassionate because the love of God is just oozing out of you now. Because the Spirit is at work like never before. That's a blessing. The Bible talks about that when you walk with the Lord, He goes before you and even makes your enemies be at peace with you. Man, that's a blessing. The Bible says that when you walk with Him, He goes before you and makes your paths straight. That's a blessing. It's saying in effect that God goes before you, He opens up the way, He makes things smooth for you, and life is better when you walk with Him. That term, blesses, blessed in, in whatever they do, could be any number of things. But now let me ask you, why would anybody not want that? Why would anybody not want the blessings of God? And the Bible's teaching us here that there's only one way to get that. That when I surrender to Him, when I obey, when I walk with Him, God blesses what I do. Two last verses or passages I want you to look at very quickly. I'm just going to read through them, make a comment, listen to them. Jesus says the same thing, okay? Matthew chapter 7, listen to this. Matthew 7, 24 through 25, Jesus said this. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against this house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. This is not talking about salvation. It would apply, but that's not what he's talking about. He says, whoever hears what I'm saying to you and puts them into practice, that you become a doer of the word. You are like a person, a wise person, that builds his entire life on the solid rock of the word of God. And life is going to throw at you everything that it's got. And you will stand. You will stand. Man, that's a blessing. Converse to that, it says this, Matthew 7, verse 26 through 27. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Now notice, in both cases, they hear the teaching. They're just not putting it into practice. He is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. How many lives have I seen ruined because of disobedience? How many lives, how many marriages, how many families are destroyed? Because they heard the Scriptures, they heard the Word, and chose not to obey. And guys, you need to listen to this, okay? God tells you and me that we are to be doers of the Word, be obedient. Even when it is hard, we need to listen to things that we need to hear. We need to take it to heart, and we need to determine before God that we're going to change. And when we do, we're like the house built on a solid rock. Nothing can bring you down, and you are blessed 
in everything that you do. We're going into the communion time right now. And before the guys come up, here's what I want you to do. Now listen carefully, okay? I want you to take this time and I want you to sit quietly before the Lord. And I want you to consider your life. I want you to consider, okay, am I one of these people that is just a hearer only, but I, I never can get any traction. I never can get going. I just never seem to obey. Then if that's the case, here's what I want for you. I am asking you to surrender. Just surrender. Before God, right there in the quietness of your own heart, it's not between you and me. Then right there, you just pour your heart out to God and say, Lord, I surrender. This one, two, three things, whatever it is that I see in my life where I have been disobedient, I've made excuses, I have turned away, I surrender. And I'm going to change. I'm guilty. I did it. I've been lazy. And God, I've been angry at people who've tried to point it out to me. But here's where it changes. Because, Lord, I today am going to be different. And here's what I'm asking of you, God. Just like your word has told me, I want your blessing. I want your blessing. There's no reason why you can't expect that. Because God has told you it is yours. So claim it. Claim it. Guys, come forward if you would. And everybody just sit quietly. We're going to distribute this and everybody partake together in a moment. But as the guys come forward, we're just going to sit quietly and reflect over what we've, been, what we've heard today. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't understand what being a Christian is all about. What it means to, as we say, be saved or be forgiven. The Bible tells us that God the Father sent His Son and gave Him a human body so that that body could go to the cross and die. To die in your place. And God the Father laid upon His Son that sacrifice all of your sins from the day you're born until the day you die. All of them were in the future when Jesus died. And he said, for, for you, I will make a payment for your sins. And that was the body that was broken. And all of the shame, all of the pain, all of the abuse that he took, it ought to be yours and mine. We pay for our own sins. But that's the beauty of what grace is. Grace is God saying that even though you deserve it, I'll pay for it. That's the reason we partake of this communion. We take this bread, and it's representative of the body that was broken for us. It took all of our sin upon itself and went to the grave. He paid for it, and we take this in remembrance of that, to celebrate that and to thank Him. Let's partake together in remembrance of that. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You. Father, we are humbled before You just to realize our own sinfulness, our own rebellion, And, Father, we still struggle with that and will, I guess, until the day we die. But, Father, with your help, we are improving, but whether we do or not, it's your grace that has saved our souls. It's the fact that you took our sin upon yourself and that you have paid for it. Lord, we thank you for that. 
And Father, I pray now for everyone that is in this room. That Lord, if, we'll, if there's one here that has never, ever understood this, that right now, right where they sit, they would turn to you in faith, as you have said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever, and that means all of us, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, that's what we want for everybody in here. And that is our prayer. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us that same night, he took the cup and he passed it to the disciples. He said, now you take and drink this. This is my blood. And you do this in remembrance of me. This is the blood of the new, the new covenant. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. It was the altar of God. And he shed that blood there for you and me. And the blood covers our sins forever. And for that, we're grateful. Let's partake together in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. And Father, thank you that our lives can be better than what they are now. I pray for each one of us that we would learn to walk with you in obedience and that, Father, we may be blessed in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.